Grace, mercy, and peace are yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, through Christ our Lord, from God our Heavenly Father. Amen. Well, there's no way around it, friends. This story of the dishonest manager set before us today is undoubtedly and completely agreed upon, that it's the most difficult parable that Jesus told. It's notorious for confusing readers, for stumping commentators, and for being skipped over by preachers. And so I briefly thought about skipping over it myself. I thought, this could be a really short sermon, Jesus loves you, amen. But I didn't think that that would be particularly faithful to my office. I wouldn't be doing any justice to you or to God's word. And, well, we've committed to unlocking the parables of Jesus through this series. So here we are. We've got a tough nut to crack. How are we going to do it? Well, when we read anything, especially scripture, context is always helpful. Sometimes it is critical. So as we look at the context of this confusing and difficult parable, what do we see? Well, we start off and we see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Uh, so we recognize that he's probably, he's saying something to us as his disciples. And what came right before it? Well, it's the parable of the prodigal son. So last week, Pastor Braun taught on the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And that is paired with this parable of the lost son. It's perhaps the most well-known of Jesus' parables. And as we look at them, we, we see some, some similarities. This, this parable starts off with a manager who is squandering possessions. He's wasting possessions, just like the son squandered his father's possessions in the previous parable. So we start to see a connection, a father and son, master and manager. And then at the end of this parable, we see that, uh, so Jesus was talking to the, the Pharisees before, and he turns to his disciples, but the, the Pharisees haven't left. They're standing around, they overhear this, and so we hear, or, or we read that the Pharisees hear this, and they ridicule him, just like they would do when he's on the cross. That helps gives us, that gives us some insight as well as to what Jesus is saying and, and what this parable is supposed to mean and what it's meant to do. Because there's a lot of talk in this parable about money, wealth, possessions, and people's response to loving money. Well, I, I see a little crack in this nut, and I call it stewardship. But how do we, how do we pry that, that crack open and get to that fruit that we so desire? Well, what we have are several contrasts that Jesus puts before us. He contrasts the sons of this world and the sons of light. There's very little and there's much. There's unrighteous wealth and true riches. And there's that which is another's and that which is truly your own. So we might call this a, a, a material and earthly uh, realm, 
and the spiritual realm. Well, we have a, a tool here on our tool shelf, our doctrinal, our, our, our theological tool shelf, that's called the two realms. This might be a good hammer to crack open this nut. So watch this. Luther read scripture and he recognized and therefore taught that God had created and works through, in parallel ways, two realms. So we said there's sort of an earthly or material realm, and then there is the spiritual realm. Now, uh, you've probably heard this called maybe the two kingdoms, uh, and when we're talking about the spiritual realm, we're talking about the church. Uh, don't think this building in everything, uh, it's the gospel. It's word and sacrament ministry. It is what God is doing to save people. It is God's work. And here, the gospel rules. And on the other hand, we have what we call the temporal realm. So oftentimes, these two realms get uh, cast as church and state, but it's so much broader than that. Yes, we call the spiritual realm the church, the place where God comes down and gives us his forgiveness, where he gives us the good news of Jesus Christ. But the temporal realm is so much more than the government. It's everything else that's not the church. Friends, this is everything that God has created and, and that we live out. It, it is family, it's, it's work, it's art, it's culture, ethics, everything that we experience in this life that's all part of this temporal realm. So even the physical presence here of this church, this building, uh, our staff who work to keep everything going, this is part of the temporal realm. And here, in the temporal realm, the law rules. God's law rules. But that means that God rules. Yes, yes, God cares about what happens in this temporal realm. God is not boxed off into the spiritual realm. He is the creator of all things, visible and invisible, and he reigns over everything. God is a wealthy master, and he's created us to be his managers of his creation. So we're starting to see a connection here. Master, manager, God, and us. Stewards. This is we're starting to see this come together. So I, I, th I think we, we're getting somewhere with this, friends. Well, Jesus boils it down at the end of his parable in his teaching. He boils it down to this statement, you cannot serve God and money because God doesn't just rule here in the spiritual realm and that 10% that you give is not the extent that he calls you to serve him, no, God rules in both realms, and as his people, he calls you to serve him in everything. And he rules everywhere, and that means the 90% of the money that you have, all the other possessions, all your time, your energy, everything is part of your management. It is God's. He has given it to you to manage, to steward. 
So it's not just money that he calls for you to express your loyalty in your service with. So think about Frank. Got this guy, Frank. And Frank is a regular attender of church. He, he went pretty much every Sunday, right? He's, he's faithful in attending. He might have missed once or twice, but it's very rare. And he would not only go to worship, but then he would go to Bible study, and he would participate in a couple other groups. He even consistently gave 10% of his income. And so Frank thought that he was rendering unto God what was God's. But the problem that Frank faced was that he was tempted to think that that's all God required. That somehow he had bought God off and everything else was his own. That he could do whatever he wanted with everything else. So he would take his free time and he would go and hang out in the evenings. He would sit down and watch TV, drink, maybe a little too much, uh, eat, maybe a little too much, complain about how no woman would go on a date with him because he didn't make him enough money. Uh, but then he would go and uh, you know, buy these lavish uh, uh, vacations for himself because he earned it, right? It was all serving himself. Frank had fallen into the temptation to serve another master, to serve himself instead of serving God with all that he had. Now, you're probably not as over-the-top as Frank. I expect that's not the case. But you and I are all tempted to serve another master. You know that God is your true Father, your true Lord, your true Savior, but the world around you doesn't know this. And you can't go more than a few minutes out there without seeing or hearing some kind of message that bombards you to tell you how you should spend your time, your money, your energy on something other than God and his service to his creation. So what does this mean? It usually means it's telling you to serve yourself. It's usually telling you, well, my life should be more convenient more comfortable, more easy. It's me, me, me. That's the refrain of the messages you get from this world. And as you are out there being bombarded by these messages, they lure you in. You're tempted to serve anyone and anything but God. Serve this political campaign. And then everything will be set right, and you'll have the life that you always wanted. Serve yourself, because you know that your needs come first, and you deserve it. Serve money, well, just because you're supposed to have a lot of it, right? And we know money can't buy happiness, but you sure can buy a lot of stuff and experiences with it. So get as much as you can. You wouldn't want to miss out on any of this after all, just in case this whole church thing doesn't really work out for you. The thoughts, the doubts, 
they creep in. They sneak under the door. They, they sneak into your eyes and their ears, and they pile up inside your heart and inside your mind, telling you that it's not really your place to serve God out here in this temporal realm. You wall God off over here, but out here, it's something else. You're your master. But don't be surprised, friends. This is not new. No, St. Paul wrote to his mentee, Timothy. He wrote to him in the book of 2 Timothy. He writes, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Amen. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Friends, you live in this world. Paul is describing the world around us. You know it. You live here. And the world wants you to be like it. It wants you to join it in rebellion against the Creator, against God Almighty. But Jesus calls you to a different way. Jesus calls you and me to be faithful, to be faithful to God and to be faithful with your resources. He tells his disciples to serve God with their money rather than serving money. He calls you to be faithful with the little, the material things of this life, because they're God's, after all, not yours. You are simply a steward of all of those things. So the time that you have each day, what you do, that's stewardship. The strength, the energy, the willpower that you exercise to make decision, friends, that's stewardship. Where you're going for lunch this afternoon, that's stewardship. So what does this look like in our community? Well, there's countless examples because there are countless opportunities to use your time, talent, money, energy. But here's just a few. Maybe it's as simple as getting to know the people that live next to you on your street. And I don't mean just know their name, but to get to know them. Invite someone into your home and and have dinner with them or lunch. Show hospitality because that's stewardship. Or maybe if if you have the the, the talent or or the time that you can dedicate, you can be part of the ESL program that we're trying to revitalize here at Fishers because that's stewardship, that's serving in the temporal realm, being faithful with what God has given you to serve his creation. Now, a couple people have told me about this community called Brookwood, and I think this is an excellent uh, ministry. According to their website, Brookwood provides meaning and purpose in the lives of adults with disabilities. Now, Brookwood has a, a shop and a restaurant, and so you could, in exercising your stewardship, you could go and buy something from their shop, or you could have lunch or dinner at their restaurant, and you are financially supporting them. Yes, that's part of stewardship. But as you do so, 
You're making a confession. You are confessing to the world that you agree with this ministry that they are doing, this uh, God-approved ministry to honor, to raise up adults with various disabilities. These people that God has created in, their, in his image and who he loves and he's redeemed by the blood of his son and the rest of the world says, no, you're subpar. You're not worth it. You get in my way, I want you out of here. You're not worth my time. But God loves them. And so these people have recognized a way to serve adults with disabilities out of the love and the mercy of God. And when you support that, you're not just giving them money so that they can carry this on, but you're telling the world, I agree with this. And I believe that these people are bought by the blood of Christ and they have purpose and they have meaning just as much as you or me. Friends, that is stewardship. That's living in the temporal realm and giving glory to God in the spiritual realm. You can give, you can serve in both. You can give your 10% at church and you're expressing your faith in God, in his provision, in that. But that money, friends, that's going to have this place operate so that we can have this building here so we can have lights and sound and live stream so we can have staff. Friends, that's the temporal realm. God cares about what happens in the temporal realm. And as his people, he's called you to faithfulness and to be his people in that realm. You can serve God in both. But as we look at this parable, it can be really easy to get turned around on ourselves. If we focus on this manager and his unrighteousness, so we we call it the dishonest, it can be called unjust, but it might be more properly translated unrighteous. This unrighteous manager, if we focus on him and his unrighteous deeds and we think how that applies to us, it can be really easy to get turned around and start thinking that somehow we have to do these things to earn God's favor. That's not the case, friends. So maybe it's helpful if we look at it in a different way. Instead of focusing on this manager and his unrighteousness, what if we look at the master and his mercy? You see, When the master heard of his manager squandering his possessions, he had every right to not only fire this man, but to have him cast into prison and punished extensively. But he didn't do that. Yes, he fired him. There are consequences for his unrighteousness. But when the manager is pressed, what shall I do? What does he choose? He focuses on the mercy of his master. He says, I know that my master is merciful. This is his character, and so I will count on that as I move forward. And he extends that mercy to his debtors. And he is released. He is saved. He makes friends for himself. He does not serve 
the material things, but he uses them for the sake of his master's mercy. And so you and I are unjust, unrighteous managers, unjust stewards of this world. And we can gather together here in this place each week, both in a temporal sense, but also in a spiritual sense, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, to hear of God's mercy, the Master's mercy to us. Because Jesus is the only one who lived that perfectly dedicated life to God that you and I can't. We just can't do it. But Jesus did it for you. And more than that, he died on the cross to pay your debt. He didn't just cut it in half or take 20% off. He got rid of it completely. He took God's mercy and wiped away all of your sin, all of your debt, all of your shame. And so, yes, God is abundant in his mercy, friends. He has forgiven you all of your sins because of Jesus And he continues to be abundant in his mercy in giving you gifts in this life, in this temporal realm in which we live. And he gives you his spirit to guide you, to be wise in using the things of this world to share that mercy of Jesus with others. The true riches are already yours, friends. You don't have to earn them. God in his mercy has already given them to you. He also gives you a lot of things in this life. But he tells you that they will fail. They will. It's not if, it's when. When they will fail. But you don't have to worry because he has already saved you. He has already given you the true riches. He has already made you sons and daughters of light. And Jesus, the true light of the world, has already prepared a place for you in his father's house. So thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.